Hi there, I'm Jacqueline, and welcome to the In Relation Podcast, a place where we talk the good, the bad, and the ugly about tough stuff. Life happens fast and sometimes too fast to process our feelings, but it's more important than ever to understand what hard times do to us and how it can impact our future. So join me as I learn everything I can from others about myself and them in relation to everything. Because I believe the more we know, the better we'll do. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the In Relation podcast. Things are a little bit different today, so I thought I'd give you the skinny before we dive into this week's episode. Um, After the success and the interest that came from the episode that Nat and I did together, Um, we had a couple of conversations and and decided that the best thing to do was to bring her in as a guest host. So we are beyond excited that Nat's going to do an episode once a month uh, for all of you, and we can't wait to have her as a part of the family. Welcome, Nat. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm super excited about this. We are also very excited. Can you tell us, Nat, what people can expect? Yeah, so my intention is to essentially create some connections and have conversations with all different types of mamas and women on their own roads to motherhood. Um, As I've said, I've always believed that knowledge is power, and many of us benefit and learn from other stories and experiences. And to do this through a podcast seems like the most perfect way for a busy mom to tune in while she does a million other things, because we as moms know that life is all about the multitask. Um, I also encourage you to listen because you'll learn about topics that maybe you're unfamiliar with and you never know what friend, colleague, or partner might need from you and support and what a perfect stranger could teach you to help them. I'm here to have raw conversations with people who are willing to share them. Motherhood is a constant journey of learning and it's always easier to do it together. That all sounds incredible. I personally am not a mom, but I'm excited to tune in and to listen to everything that you are going to share with our listeners. So thank you so much for being open to doing this. And, you know, instead of kind of doing a debrief on on this episode, I think we just jumped right in. Thank you. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. So Nat, welcome to the family. Um, and here is your first episode, The Boundaries of Birth and Destigmatizing a Normal Birth Story. Starts right now. Hello, everybody. Um, welcome back. It's Natalie here, and I have a very special guest um, with me this evening, uh, evening where we are right now. Um, this is a very special story. Um, Not only is this person a friend, but she's also a family member. Um, This is my sister-in-law, Jamie, that I will be chatting with tonight. Um, So for those of you who don't know Jamie, she is a mom of three. Um, She had her two first um, seven and ten years ago now. Eight Eight and ten ten. years ago now. And um, she just had her third, a little baby boy, Morgan. Um, healthy baby, and she had an incredible and powerful um, VBAC too. So uh, we are going to go through that tonight and kind of what that looked like for her leading up, um, what her previous births were, and yeah, she's just going to tell us her story. It's empowering, it's beautiful, um, and I'm super excited to have her. So thank you, Jamie, for being with us. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so... Um, I guess to start, I just want to say, um, like to preface this, I don't want um, anybody who listens to this to um, have any fears with a C-section birth. I think a C-section is just as powerful as a vaginal, um, and that can be um, very misled in society, and there's nothing wrong with a C-section. So um, anything that you hear tonight is just Jamie's personal story, and it's extremely powerful for anybody who feels like they didn't get that chance with their first, their second, whatever, and they want to understand the options around um, a VBAC, the questions that they need to ask, the risks, the benefits, the fears, the feelings, everything. So we're going to go through that tonight. It's going to be fun. We're having some wine. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got my dog and my cat and my baby's asleep, so 
Lord help me that everything goes well tonight. Um, but yeah, we're super excited. So I guess, yeah, welcome Jamie and give us a little bit of a background about, um, I guess your first two births and I'm going to pretend that I don't know anything about them and just give, give the people all the goods. Yeah, so I'm here today really to talk about my VBAC experience. Um, my third pregnancy was a journey of fighting, and I mean fighting in every sense, uh, for a vaginal birth. And um, so with that, I, I do want to give a little bit of a backstory of my two first um, birth experiences because they led me to where I am today. So my first one was Rachel uh, 10 years ago. And uh, with that one, you know, I had a pretty healthy, normal pregnancy. And towards the end, I was extremely overdue and it came time to talk about an induction. So I was a little nervous about that. My, our cousin had just yeah. had, uh, we were pregnant together and she actually had to get induced and it turned into an emergency C-section. And so I was a little bit fearful of, you know, that happening. Which um, I think is really common. Yeah. And it seems to be more common, which is you know, mind-boggling to me that this, like, I keep hearing more and more stories about women who, you know, end up with emergency C-sections. Yeah. And what I learned with this one is they're not all emergencies, yeah. and a lot of them were unnecessary. So, yep. um, I'll get to that. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so Rachel, um, I went in to see my midwife. I was two centimeters dilated for over a week, almost two weeks, and um, we ended up scheduling my C-section for, I think it was... 41 and four days and I chose that date because I was trying to avoid a specific OB who I had uh, crappy experiences with in high school so I just wanted to try and avoid having her part of my story if there was an emergency that took place so um, I don't suggest that you schedule <laughs> births around uh, anything like that which I laugh even harder about it because I did do that with my third yeah, I, you totally did. I wanted my primary midwife to be there, so I did schedule, but I don't recommend that. It worked out for me. It was a safe choice. <laughs> Anyways, um, so my husband and I went in to get induced, and we went in at 6 a.m. By 8 a.m., I was hooked up to the Pitocin, and very, very quickly, my contractions were one on top of each other. Um, Hold I on, got... I'm going to pause you there for two seconds. So yeah. for people who don't know what Pitocin is, um, Pitocin is a form of induction, um, it is administered through an IV and basically what it does, it's like a synthetic um, to oxytocin, which is our happy hormone. Um, essentially what it does is it speeds um, labor up. So Pitocin can be used if you, if you're, like for me specifically, my waters broke both times, my cervix was stubborn, I didn't, things didn't get started naturally. So Pitocin is used to as we call it, speed things up. Um, so just to preface that for anybody who isn't quite um, up to date with the, the jargon of the birth world. So yeah, and a lot going. of people will refer to it as like a medicated induction. Yeah. Um, so I got hooked up to the Pitocin and very quickly things changed. Um, I did not have an epidural or anything like that. I wasn't really planning for it, but I was 22 at the time and I didn't really... I don't know. I wasn't afraid of this birth. Like I really wasn't. I was mm -hmm. actually very looking forward to the pain of a vaginal birth and my husband was very ready for it too, which mm -hmm. it's <laughs> funny because I find like young people and most first time moms, I don't know if it's because you're naive, naive. or what, <laughs> but especially young moms, it's incredible that yeah. they go in with this like fight no energy, problem. like yeah. excited about birth. Yeah. And yeah. like, I love birth obviously to do what I do, but um, I was more nervous for my second because I knew, which is a blessing because I was aware of everything going around me, like, you know, my decisions and such. But it's funny when you say that you were excited because I think that's mm -hmm. also a really common and thing. And I was for... also afraid of my second and my third. And so I think normal. too, for both of us, we were the first of anyone to have kids. Out so of our, out of our circles. We didn't have our girlfriends to yeah. be like, what was it like or anything like that. And yeah. then once you have experience, whether it's a positive or negative one, you know what you know what to expect a little more, so it's a little bit scary. But yeah, but yeah. So, anyways, um, her vitals started getting a little shaky. Um, they were hard to find, so the OB came in. Oh, and I also had my waters broken, so okay. that all happened very quickly. Okay. Um, and then the OB came in, and she decided that there was a need for a C-section, and 
the way she worded it made us feel like it was very it was an emergency and mm-hmm. so we very quickly decided like if she's worried we should be worried and you're 22 and, and it's your first young, so yeah. and then on top of it the OB that came in happened to be the one I was trying to avoid so I was really anxious and mm-hmm. I think that added a lot to um, my nervousness especially for the baby like we're in survival mode in that moment like it's a really shitty time for someone to ask you to make such a big decision. Like, yeah, do absolutely. you want to keep trying with this labor or do you want to go in for an emergency C-section? So yeah, obviously yeah. the word emergency made me go, let's just do this. So I'm thinking this is happening right now. Mm-hmm. I get wheeled into the surgical room and by myself with the anesthesiologist. I get my spinal done and I'm laying on the bed waiting for my husband to come in. And instead the doctor comes in. And she says, you know, you are nine and a half centimeters dilated. So I'm not really clear on the time frame, but it had only been a few hours. And um, so she was, I was like, okay. She's like, do you want to try and push? And I was like, absolutely. So then I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. First of all, I'm frozen <laughs> from the shoulders down. And so I can't feel contractions and I'm terrified. I'm in a cold, bright room. I have no idea what's going on. My husband's not even there in case the baby does come out of my vagina. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. So she gave me one opportunity for one push Okay. and then said, let's just get this baby out of here. And, um, so I was like, all right. And then she left the room. And then my mom came in in her scrubs, and I was like, where the hell is Zach? And she said, he's scared to come in. <laughs> Classic. That's my brother. <laughs> God bless him. And but. I was like, get him in here, very sternly. So she left, and then he came back in the, in the scrubs. And, um, and then, you know, shortly after, we got started. Mm-hmm. So it was like quite a bit of time that elapsed between being told that we need to have a C-section and then it actually happening. So Right. That was like a, a flag for sure. Right. Um, so Rachel's born. She's healthy and big. She was 8'2", um, but unfortunately she swallowed some meconium on her way out, so they had to take her away to, not away, but I, I could see her um, just to get it out. And then... Um, also, that's poop. Oh, yes. That's very, very, <laughs> very common as well. Can be dangerous, but... When your water breaks, sometimes there's poop in it, and uh, and sometimes they inhale it. <laughs> yeah. And it's very tarry, so it's dangerous, and it needs to get out right away. Yeah. So I understood that, but um, then they wrapped her up. They showed her to me for two seconds and took her to the NICU. And then my husband and I just sat there together while, um, <laughs> while the... Uh, nurse while well, we finished up the, the surgery and my placenta was delivered and all of that stuff which um, I'm sure you'll touch base on sometime yeah in the future um, but yeah so ultimately I didn't get a chance for skin to skin which really um, upset me mm-hmm. uh, and then she was taken away to the NICU and I was brought into a recovery room alone um, my heart rate was low my blood pressure was low my anxiety was high <laughs> I was crying a lot I, I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't lift my arms. My chest was heavy and I was there for hours and um, Zach would come in and he'd show me pictures of Rachel on his phone and he got to feed her. He got to change her diaper. He got to hold her, all this stuff. I got nothing for hours and I didn't really know the time frame, but I look back at it now and it's like, you know, my in-laws were there. My mom was there and they had to leave because visiting hours were over. And so you think about what time visiting hours are in hospitals back mm-hmm. when we were allowed to have visitors. And like that's seven, eight o'clock at night. So mm-hmm. I went in, I, I started my labor at eight. She was born. And that's the other thing is it happened so fast. They didn't write down what time she was born. They didn't measure her for length, like nothing. Like mm-hmm. I don't even know. So Zach and I just kind of guess around noon. And then all that time went by that I didn't get to spend with my daughter. So we both suffered from that experience. Mm-hmm. And like that all in itself is trauma. Yeah. So that was a rough experience for sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And let's remember that was 10 years ago and, um, shitty things happen all the time. It's, it's kind of a part of everyone's journey. Everyone's journey is unique. Um, but don't let this scare you. Things of, you know, the medical teams, whether it's OBs, midwives, doulas, whatever, um, things are, that would never happen nowadays. Like when I put myself in that situation, um, I, I was actually in university when Jamie and my brother had their first two children. So I didn't understand everything Jamie went through. And now that I've had, you know, two of my own labors, putting her situation in my own head, that would just never happen. So, mm-hmm. and to add to that too, like I did have a midwife, but unfortunately once certain, um, 
measures. things happen in the mm -hmm. hospital, uh, their rights and their abilities to make decisions for me get taken away. So mm -hmm. she was kind of pushed out of the picture. Yeah. Um, but also just the fact that she swallowed meconium and then they took her to NICU, even though she was perfectly healthy, that is not even a policy anymore. That right. doesn't happen. Right. So right. Exactly. Exactly. So again, we don't say this to think, yeah. oh gosh, I'm never going to see my child when they're born. And it's I had this baby and I didn't realize until 10 years later, all those little details. I literally forgot half of those details mm -hmm. and didn't realize how traumatic it was and how much effect it had on me until now. Right. So, right. Also um, super normal, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And with reflect. Rachel, yes, that was a crazy experience. Um, but to make matters worse, my healing process was a nightmare. Like I, um, went home when I was allowed to. And a few days after when my midwife came to check on us, I had crazy fevers and extreme pain. And so she suggested I go back to the OB and she immediately readmitted me to the hospital. My uterine scar was like not closing. I, my body was rejecting whatever stitches they used. Mm -hmm. So I had to uh, get it reopened. I got readmitted for three more days. And because Rachel wasn't a patient, she wasn't allowed to stay with me. So Zach was caring for her by himself at home and taking her to the hospital to see me so I could try and feed and get her latching and all of that stuff. Um, but then after those three days of being readmitted, I basically had a second C-section and got put on tons of antibiotics and painkillers and, um, and then I got sent home and I still didn't get better. I still had the shakes, I still had the body chills and the fever and so I ended up taking myself to Emerge and getting readmitted and my OB joined me there and she had a wound care specialist take a look at me and they decided the best thing to do was to just let it close on its own. So I had a nurse come to my house every day to oh clean it goodness. and pack it with an antibacterial seaweed and then cover it up with a bandage. And I did that for two and a half months postpartum. So it affected my breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah, I, no I, couldn't, shit. I couldn't stand up straight for a month. I couldn't have shower for a month. I, oh man. Um, my, my body was fighting off an infection for so long that my, my milk wasn't coming through enough. So I, I had to keep feeding her formula. And so it was just like, that was trauma too. <laughs> yeah, I would say, I would say so, girlfriend. I'd say that's pretty traumatic. Yeah. Um, okay, and then quickly give us a little bit of a recap about our little man, Lucas. So Lucas was, I, I chose to have a second C-section with him. I, I was a candidate for a VBAC, um, but I chose to, to just do that. <laughs> I had a keloid, keloid scar. I had two of them because I had two C-sections. And um, I just had no confidence in myself. It looked awful. It felt awful. It was extremely numb. It was it was just terrible. So, um, what's he, a keloid scar? So, um, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know how to give a good definition of it. But um, it's it's when it like really pops out and it's really thick, okay. and it almost looks swollen all okay. the time, and it's bumpy and uneven, that's a keloid scar. Okay. And so there's there was extra numbness on the top and the bottom, and below it, all around it, like a good inch on each side of the scar has been numb, for, was numb for years. Okay. So when I saw this OB, she had said, you know, I can fix all of that scar tissue for you, which actually would make you a candidate to have a VBAC after two cesareans if you wish to continue having kids. And I was like, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. So I planned the C-section and then uh, pregnancy was uneventful and healthy until towards the end I was uh, not measuring up to where I should be. So I started NSTs, um, non-stress tests at the hospital um, and weekly ultrasounds. And then they decided that he had IUGR, which is interuteral growth restriction. So basically my placenta did not have enough blood flow to be feeding him what he needed. So he wasn't growing quick enough. So they decided he'd be better out than in. So I had to book my C-section for 35 weeks and Wild. yeah, so they, in order to help, um, like really push the development of the lungs and the heart, they give you a steroid injection right in your butt and at the uh, hospital? Mm -hmm. okay. not the day of, like a couple weeks before. Okay. So that he has time to grow a little bit more. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, so I had a scheduled C-section and I healed really well from that one. It wasn't traumatic. I knew what to expect. I knew I wasn't going to have skin to skin. Just knowing what it was going to come of it made it easier to deal with. Mm -hmm. So it was fine. And when you say like you knew you weren't going to have skin to skin because it, that's all that you... Because he was premature. 
Okay. I knew because he was going to be premature. They were going to, they warned me, you know, he's, he's probably going to need a feeding tube and a breathing tube. And, you know, they gave me all the worst case scenarios just so I could mentally prepare myself. So I knew he was going to be really tiny. I knew I wasn't going to get to hold him right away. And I was okay with it. That's wild. Yeah. So he came out, he was four pounds, one ounce. Four pounds, one (laughs) ounce. So tiny. Oh. He went down to three, eight. And then we stayed in the hospital for nine days until he got to five pounds. But he was a trooper. He pulled out the tubes. He, he latched, all that. Breastfeeding was a little more challenging just because he was early, so my body, like, didn't know, mm-hmm. like, to mm-hmm. start. Like, it didn't kickstart to yeah. produce milk. So mm-hmm. that was a bit of a slow start. But, again, I, I didn't – I would never say that one was trauma. And so I have had an unexpected C-section, and I've had a planned C-section. And, like okay. you said earlier, like, there is a stigma in C-sections, and I don't think that's fair. Both are births. Like, Absolutely, they are. They're just different. Yeah. And – and some people, like, choose to have a C-section. Mm-hmm. Just, like, some people are like, yep. I want to get in there, and I want the drugs, and I want to, like, do yeah. this. That's... And some people have reasons why they can only give birth through a C-section. Mm-hmm. And so it's not yep. fair to take that away from them because they don't get a choice. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a birth. So yeah. those were my first two births. <laughs> okay, perfect. So now everyone's got the low-low on um, Jamie's first <laughs> and second. Um so like I said uh, previously, I think that bringing you know this story in now to the equation of VBAC 2, which is at vaginal birth after cesarean 2, two cesareans, two cesareans um, it just shows how far we've come. Um, you know, the doctors, yes, but also as women, you know, advocating for ourselves, I think anybody who's followed my, you know, my natal B doula page or just the the conversation that Jack and I had about you know miscarriages we don't learn and we can't be better and we can't educate others unless we talk about it so that's again what brings Jim and I here tonight um today I guess <laughs> um but that's why we're here so give us kind of the rundown about baby number three and did you early on no, like I'm going to have a vaginal birth yeah. or like mm-hmm. what was your, for people who are in this situation at home mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're either expecting or want to have their baby, mm-hmm. they're traumatized by their first. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them in like, what would you say to them going through a second pregnancy? Um, I know that's like such a loaded so, question, yeah. but where would you start? Well, I immediately knew, like there was no question. I wanted to have a vaginal birth. I didn't even know it was called a VBAC. I was just like, I'm gonna have a normal birth. That's what I kept calling it, right? And um, I had zero idea that I was going to experience so much pushback Mm -hmm. to have a vaginal birth. Like it was, it it was news to me. Yeah. And it was especially news to me because I called the midwives when I was two weeks pregnant and I got on a birth team and I told them I had two C-sections and they, I told them how they happened and I gave them my records and, and they knew. And no one said to you, to me, sorry, that like, by the way, doctors are not going to like this and there right. might be an issue. Right. So six months into my pregnancy, I'm thinking, whatever, I'm not even worried about a uter- uterine rupture. I'm not even researching or thinking about it. So, right. Yeah. Um, I almost want to say all of that was my gut feeling. So when someone says like, just go with your gut, my gut feeling was you're having vaginal birth and there's no questions about it. Right. So... It wasn't until I um, met with my secondary midwife and I already knew and booked an appointment with the OB at the doctor or at the hospital I'd be delivering at because um, our midwife college, they say like any vaginal births after two or more cesareans, they have to have an OB consult. Right. So it's part of their rules. And it's funny, I actually have friends uh, who've had children um, before I did and if you had two C-sections, they wouldn't even give you a midwife. So no, yeah, like to me, that's just insane um, Mm -hmm. and hurtful and and just so wrong because midwifery care is just the best. Um, I'm obviously biased, but um, (laughs) not to say that OBs aren't awesome. They are too. Um, But again, to go back to where Jane was 10 years ago and where we are now, it's not a hard no from a midwife which is no. amazing and that's exactly how and it should I did, be. And I did meet with the midwives before I went with an OB with my second one. So I had that in my head and I chose to go with the OB. So they're both good Yeah, for a different reason. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. There's, one's not better than the other. Right. Um, but I think part of why I actually like was like 100% doing this is I, I felt like I noticed how jealous I was of other women's birth stories. And like it makes me want to cry now. Like I, I would hear and I'd be happy for everyone, but I'm like... Why couldn't I have that? <laughs> so 
the fact that I was jealous and, you know, I felt yucky about feeling jealous. I, I felt yucky about the fact that I realized I was ashamed of my birth stories because I always felt the need to justify it. Like, yeah, I had two C-sections, but the first one was an emergency and the second one was planned because X, Y, and Z. Like, I always felt like I had to justify it to people and I, I think that's shitty. Like, it is shitty and it's, yeah, I think that you're not the only one. I think yeah. a lot of women feel that. And so that was my drive for yeah. sure. Yeah. Right? And I, I hope, I hope women don't feel ashamed yeah. um, for a birth stories, but they're all out of your control. Oh my God. Are they ever? So <laughs> it is what it is and things happen. Like even, and I'll get to it, my, even with my VBAC, like it was a little bit crazy and traumatic at the end, but that was my birth story. Like, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Right. So mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's so many reasons to have a vaginal birth and, and I, I heard so many people say, well, it's kind of, isn't it kind of selfish? So you're, you're putting yourself at, and your baby at such a crazy risk of, and the risk is a uterine rupture. And I was like, so explain that for people who yeah, don't understand. So a uterine rupture is exactly that. It's your, when your uterus is contracting so much, um, it can cause your, your uterine scar to open. And there's actually three levels of uterine scars. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail about them cause I don't know a ton. I just know that through my research, like. Two, two of them aren't very serious. Um, one of them is pretty serious when it opens fully. The others, uh, they call it like a window. So it's your uterus is so thin, you can see through it. Is what, so they call it a window rupture. Okay. Uh, the other one, it opens partially, but nothing happens. And the third one, it opens fully. Okay. All of those can happen. None of them can happen. The full one can happen, and you don't have any catastrophic outcomes from it. Right. Um, so it's just risk. But when just someone like said that, I was like, whoa, I didn't even think about this really. So then that's when I was like, shit, I should probably look into the risks a little more. Um, but, and I'll, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you a list of what the risks are and, and what I learned about them. But yeah, like it, it wasn't a selfish decision. Yes. I've always wanted to experience it, not just for me, but with my partner. But I, I do also know that it's better for baby. It's safer. Ba- the recovery is better, you know, everything. So I'm like, this mm-hmm. isn't just about me. This is the natural way. Like, if, if there's a serious risk and I add my body or my history or anything adds a risk, I won't do it. Right. And I'm not open or I'm not closed sorry, to a C-section if it's medically required. Yep. So all of that was fine. Like, I wasn't ignorant to the right, right. to the risks that were involved. But um, anyway, so my I booked that appointment with the OB. And a couple days before, I had a midwife appointment. It was with my secondary midwife, who I hadn't met yet. And she hit me with hard news that there was a very, very high chance that when I met with the OB on that Friday, he was probably going to recommend a transfer of care from midwife to OB with a repeat cesarean. And I was like, oh, I no one <laughs> warned me. I remember Jamie calling me after that appointment in tears and devastated. anger. and Because you didn't expect it. No, I didn't. And like I said in the beginning, I didn't expect to have to fight for what's natural. Like, what? Fight and for what, I what want. you want. <laughs> like, That's, how is say this it a, one more time. And I later, Fight for what you want, <laughs> yeah. ladies. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. And I also later learned that, and I don't know if this is you know countrywide or in the U.S., but uh, where where I am, the College of Midwives, if a OB recommends a transfer care recommendation, actually means enforcement. So their hands become tied, and right. uh, they no longer can be my main provider. Mm-hmm. Meaning they can't give me internals, they can't give me stretch and sweeps, they can't catch the baby, they don't get to make any decisions for me the mm-hmm. day of. Their their care gets taken away, the role that they were planning to to play, which is fine. They end up being a support person regardless. Like yeah. where they always say to you, like I am, I work for you until you fire me. <laughs> like, right. I am going to be there postpartum. I'm going to be there the day of. Right. I will advocate for you. I will support you. Right. All of that. So they're like a doula. Yeah, I think I just want to say quickly, um, for people who are new to this, you know, this, this realm, um, anytime you deliver in a hospital, if anything, um, let, let's just say gets a little weird, whether it's your placenta is being stubborn or baby's heart rate drops, um, there will always be an OB on call in the hospital. And when those situations come about, an OB is actually called to your room and like Jamie said, takes over your care. So if you are someone who's, you know, fresh, new, pregnant, looking into getting pregnant, you know, trying to understand a little bit more about what a midwife does versus an OB, um, a midwife to me is a little bit more of a personalized thing. Um, the benefits of the postpartum care go 
like I can't even explain how That's incredible. That's why I tell people to do it. Yeah, <laughs> with my first, I had a Christmas baby and snow and all that bullshit. And my, you know, my midwife came to my house and it's amazing. But um, just to kind of explain that to, to listeners here who don't understand is when an issue happens in the hospital, whatever it may be, um, the midwife is then um, told that the OB is gonna take over the care. So that's kind of what Jamie was explaining. And then the midwife stays there and is essentially your support system. So kind of like a doula. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, okay, go on. Yeah, so um, leading up to the appointment, obviously now I've got extreme anxiety and like I lost so much sleep over it. I But that's what triggered me to begin my research. So I wasn't that gonna did. go into this appointment with this, this OB knowing there was a really high chance that he was going to tell me too bad, so sad. Like, um, I'm going to be your care provider now. And, uh, I, and how many weeks were you at this point? 32 weeks. Yeah. Like, like no. it's the end of the pregnancy. Right? Like, yeah. And I was, um, so I was going into this appointment. I'm like, I'm going to know my shit. So I started my research and I, uh, I joined the VBAC link community. So that's a podcast actually, the VBAC link. And then um, they also have a community group on Facebook where everyone talks, shares their stories, asks questions, etc. And then also a Which local one. Which is so one. amazing. Yeah. I'm in that group I'm as well as support. <laughs> and it's, ladies, get yourself into those groups. They 100%. are true, raw, authentic stories. And they They're genuinely care. And they want the best for you. And if it's something that you want, they will, you know, wherever you are in the world, they will try to empower you and give you suggestions and mm -hmm. Literally, Jamie um, made a statement in that group after this birth. So definitely reach out to those yeah, groups. Yeah, and, and the VBAC link is actually um, for women and their doulas. And Love it. you got to listen to their podcast. It's so good. Um, but I also joined the local VBAC Hamilton area because we live in the Hamilton area. And I was able to connect with a couple of women who actually had this specific OB deliver their VBAC after two, kid, two cesareans. So I'm like, okay. But then she also warned me, like, hey, this guy's the guy you're seeing is so against... V-backs after two or more. It almost gives like more that fuel I was like, to the fire. Uh, yeah. Like I was like, okay then. So I'm going to have to go in there with like <laughs> my dukes up. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay. But then she also told me that there's um, quite a few OBs at the hospital as well that are supportive. So she gave me their names and said, you know, you could always just transfer uh, yeah. to, if it happens, you just say, well, I want a different provider. So you can request an OB that you know is going to support you or have a better chance of supporting you. Again, because we as women having babies are in control. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I went into that appointment and it actually went uh, a lot better than I anticipated. He read me the riot act for sure. He did try to talk me into a C-section for sure. Um, but I just, he said, I'm going to review your medical records and I will let your uh, midwives know what I think. Mm -hmm. And so I waited patiently for my midwife to call me and she called me and said, uh, um, actually my, my secondary one, cause my midwife was away. And she was like, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> my dog's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like yeah. Um, and then, uh, he basically said like in his notes, although I'm not enthusiastic about, um, a VBAC, uh, I also don't see any reason at this point to transfer care. So I was like, sweet, we're on point. Things are just going to keep going. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's just carry out this pregnancy. And I thought it was going to be easy. And I just feel like. I kept getting thrown curveballs yeah. even after that. So, you know, from, from that it went to, because I had a small baby before, I had to schedule growth ultrasounds at the end of my pregnancy. So every two weeks, the last six weeks. Um, and so I went. Uh, my 34-week um, ultrasound proved the baby size was perfect. I didn't have to worry about that anymore. And for anyone who has IUGR, your next pregnancy, you take aspirin. <laughs> until 36 weeks and it helps with blood flow to the placenta so you don't have to worry about baby's growth. Love that. Um, just Good. A little, great just tip. a little tip. No, that's a great tip. <laughs> um, but one thing was the secondary midwife had put in the notes for these ultrasounds to measure myometrial thickness, which is uterine scar thickness. Okay. And so at 34 weeks, they measured it. They said it was five and a half millimeters. And the OB on call that day who reviewed my results had written in the notes that if it were to go below 3.2 millimeters, that she would uh, strongly recommend a repeat cesarean. So um, that was a little bit defeating, mm -hmm. but also I was like, whatever. <laughs> I didn't really care too, too much, but then the next ultrasound showed that it was 3.0, so 0.2 less than what she had recommended her cutoff would be. Right. And of course, she ended up being the same midwife, or sorry, same OB on call that day who reviewed it. So then that was at 36 weeks, and at 37 weeks, the OB who I met with saw those 
results. And honestly, my midwife and I were like, fingers crossed he doesn't get his hands on it. <laughs> but he did, and um, he made the recommendation for transfer care, and I was devastated. I cried at to my midwife for like 45 minutes. 37, at 37. 37 weeks. So you're was, at term, mm -hmm. and you're being told that the woman that you've created a relationship mm -hmm. with was now essentially to be taken away from you. Yeah, my provider yeah. was taken away from me, and for some reason in this society, I don't get a say about it. <laughs> so, like, so what did what? Jamie? What did Jamie do about that? <laughs> Let's tell the people what Jamie decided to do about that. So I um, got a call to schedule appointment with that OB, obviously. So I met with him, um, and I was—I think at this point I was 38 weeks. Yeah, just over 38 weeks by the time I actually met with him. So the, the results of my 38-week ultrasound came in and my scar thickness went up magically to 4.0. So that gave me some ammo. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm sorry. It went down and then it went up. Like, that's not possible. For me, that was like all my research that I did said measuring the myometrial thickness is not an accurate tool for risk assessment because right. thickness of your scar does not equal strength. Right. And um, both the Canadian and American standards say that. So I'm like, I don't understand this. Plus, him and I discussed this. I asked him flat out in our first appointment in January. I was like, should I get my ult my scar ultrasounded? And he's like, no, there's really no point because there's not enough evidence to support that. Thank you. So I was like, okay. So I stopped worrying about it. Right. So then when I meet with him, and I'm like, I really just wanted to, A, get an understanding of how his views changed so drastically mm -hmm. when there's no other risks that have been added since we met last. Mm -hmm. And also B, I was determined to get my midwife's rights back. <laughs> I was right. like, I am not leaving this office until he gives me at least shared care back. Yeah. So, um, however, my midwife was very clear with me about like what her skill set was and her comfort level. So right. I wasn't going to push for her to have it fully back because I think it made her a little bit nervous, yep. which is fine. Mm -hmm. And she honest. Was honest about it, yeah. so that was okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I went there and we talked about my ultrasound results. He asked me to book a C-section. I very strongly said absolutely not. <laughs> um, we had a very redundant conversation about the risks that I already know and we already talked about. Mm -hmm. um, so there was just a lot of useless back and forth, and um, I really didn't get any answers from him to my questions. Like he couldn't explain to me why his views changed. Mm -hmm. His only answer was, um, "Well, there, I didn't have this evidence in front of me." I'm like, but the evidence in front of you is the evidence that you said you don't believe in. So it was just weird. I, I didn't like it. It made me feel like everyone was against me. Yeah. Like I, I constantly felt put in like my back was against the wall, and that which just, is so wrong. Like yeah, in this situation, in any situation, but. You were about to give birth and you need all of the positive energy around you. And I, I remember again that phone call, you know, you called me after and it's like, you are in such a hormonal crazy state. You are vulnerable. You are scared. You are unsure, especially given your first two, you know, births that you need someone in your corner and yeah. to be felt to, you know, to feel like you have everyone against you yeah. with your own decision. It's, that's gotta be a pretty awful feeling. Yeah. And so you know me, but for those of you who don't. Yeah, for those of you who don't know Jamie. I have been called a firecracker. <laughs> I've been called a lot of things. Um, I don't take no for an answer when it comes to like what I believe. And um, I, I got this vibe from him that he really didn't care what I had to say. Mm -hmm. And it triggered my anger. And mm -hmm. I just said to him, I said, you know what? Like, I, I do not doubt that you're an amazing doctor. I'm sure you're extremely intelligent. I know you have tons of years of experience and, and you have already talked to me about your experiences with uh, uterine ruptures. I'm not doubting you, but you're not a woman. And you have never been in this position. You've never had a pregnancy. You've never had a birth. You've never had a C-section. You've never had to recover from a C-section. You've never had to recover from a C-section that wasn't even necessary in the first place and have to deal with the emotions of that. Right. Um, and I said to him flat out, I said, the other thing you don't understand is the emotional and mental harm that you have caused me over the last couple of months and more specifically over the last couple of weeks since you transferred care. I said, who does that to a woman at the end of her pregnancy? I'm 38 weeks pregnant. And his only answer was, well, if you're not comfortable with me, then find another provider. I said, at 38 weeks, you want me to go interview OBs to see who will support me? Yeah, it, it, like, there's so Pardon? much. <laughs> There's so much that's not okay with that. Imagine um, I was a first-time mom. And I think that that's what we need to like stress here that 
so many times, you know, first time moms are, you don't know and you are so scared and it's so new that we take the easy way out. I, I'm, I don't know if that's appropriate to say, but it's just kind of what came out. But like, as a new mom, if someone says, no, like it's a risk and you need to do this, I think any new mom mm -hmm. would say, okay. Just like I literally signed paperwork for an emergency C-section. Yeah, yeah. Because I was told that it was a scary situation and I, I didn't know any better to say, well, hold on. And that's it. I, I think it's just knowing better. And again, it brings us to sharing these stories. So, so you can think back to Jamie's story if you're in that position and say, well, what about the, you know, the uterine lining and, and what about my options yeah. and what about a transfer of care or a, what, what was it? A separated shared care, shared care. care. Yeah. Um, so she'll explain that a little bit more, but I think again, it's just, you need to understand your options here and don't be afraid to ask, yeah. ask all the questions. Yeah. And if you don't feel comfortable, get a doula and they'll ask all of your questions I know, I know for one. you. <laughs> we know one. <laughs> um, but no, truly, that's, you know, a, a doula, a midwife, they want to support your um, your, your needs and your mm -hmm. wants and, and, yeah. and what you want in a labor. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, I obviously am a fighter, so I, I did challenge him quite a bit and I, I did tug at the heartstrings a little bit. I, you know, I said, not only are you transferring care and taking away my provider, but you're transferring me to a stranger who has not been a part of my pregnancy um, and who very clearly, even in writing, does not support me right. in my decision. So that doesn't feel good to me. And I may have name dropped a couple of his past patients, which I swear he's <laughs> probably like, this woman is nuts. <laughs> Just give her what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I cited the facts to him. I was like, listen, I've reviewed my medical history because I did. Um, Yes. Like, don't be ashamed that yeah. we're filling we up our wine. We are pouring more wine. So what? Judge us. Our children are sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and I did my research and I listened to over 30 hours of podcasts and yeah, I read did. everything. The ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and then SOCG, it's uh, the equivalent. So it's the Canadian equivalent. It's the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. So You're both like of such those. a badass. <laughs> like I'm in school and don't even know what those mean. Dude, I, didn't, I didn't do this much research in university. Like <laughs> So yeah, we, we are applauding you a lot here. <laughs> so I, I, I did it all. I, I wanted to um, not only challenge the doctor, but also uh, educate myself enough so that I was still confident in my yeah, decision. Yeah, no, I think that's a huge thing. You yeah. have to be. You totally have to educate yourself to be confident. Yeah, like making this decision to have a VBAC uh, wasn't necessarily an easy one, even though I was like, oh, I'm going to have vaginal birth. Once I found out what some of the risks are, I was like, oh, shit, like I really got to think about this. Um, so I questioned it, and I definitely had fears of the worst-case scenario happening to me. I got in my head a lot. Like, I was super unlucky with the first two babies. I'm probably going to be unlucky this time, too. And, you know, and I assessed each, I assessed each one of my labor pains while they were happening. Is that a uterine rupture or is that a labor pain? Is yeah. that a uterine rupture or was that a contraction? Like I, right. I was, I was still thinking to it about it until the moment the baby came out alive and safe. And I was like, so yeah, it is in your head. Yeah. But, um, I also was super positive and excited going into it because I felt confident in my decision because I did so much research. Right. So for anyone who's considering it, who's doubting themselves, do your research. And don't be afraid to talk to uh, your supporter, whether it's an OB or a midwife or a doula, and just consider your health history and everything and just make a, a decision that feels right for you. At the end of the day, you can change your mind yeah. <laughs> at any point in time. There was a couple points in my, in my uh, labor that I was like, should I be considering this? Right. Um, so you can change your mind if yeah. you want to, and it doesn't... Things change sense. all yeah. the time with babies. If, if there's something that you're passionate about... Giver until you know, like Jane said, until there's a medical issue, um, do what feels right and know that there's always options. <clears throat> yeah. Always options. Yeah, and like I said, just do your research. Like I talk to midwives, doulas, ultrasound technicians. I talk mm -hmm. to OBs. I talk to other women who have had uterine ruptures. I talk to women who had VBACs after three kids, uh, three cesareans. Like I talk to everybody so that I could hear the worst and the best, so I can make a, a confident decision. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, and then also the research. So this is where I just want to kind of quickly go over. And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just going to tell you what I learned mm -hmm. while doing my research because, um, 
I don't know. There's just so much research to navigate through, and yeah. so it's almost overkill. It like, is there's too much. It is, and also um, not every everyone agrees. So I don't know. Like it's like this. Ultimately, the biggest risk of a VBAC is a uterine rupture. So I already kind of mentioned what that is, but the risk and listen to this is only zero point one percent. So it's that small, and then if you've had more than one C-section. There's no research that says it doubles. It's actually, it increases a little bit, but they say, but we don't know how much. Right. So that's a small, small risk, uh, in my opinion anyways. Um, but to add to that, the risk of a catastrophic uterine rupture, meaning, you know, something happens to mom or baby, you know, worst case scenario, someone doesn't make it, mom hemorrhages, mom needs a, um, <laughs> what's it called when you get your uterus removed? Hysterectomy. Hysterectomy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, mom needing a blood transfusion. Like these are things that could happen in a catastrophic uterine rupture. And the problem with the research is, and the problem with the doctors telling you, you know, there's a 0.1% risk this could happen, um, is they don't say, like, oh, but a uterine rupture, nothing could happen. Like you could literally nothing could happen. Right. You could be fine. Right. Baby could be fine. Um, but yeah, so to me, I was like, I have a bigger risk of something happening to me walking out my front door and getting in my car. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think it was very risky. Right. So, um, and I had, I, I did my reading on the different types of uterine ruptures, which I already talked about. And I also did a lot of research on the accuracy of measuring the myometrial thickness, which I talked about. So these are all things that kind of contributed to my decision-making process. Risk versus benefit. Type it's constantly thing. risk yeah. versus reward, risk yeah. versus reward. The whole pregnancy, you think about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then there's reasons why that risk could go up, okay? So I'm, I'm not saying it's 0.1% for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, your age, obviously, will change that just as it would for a regular pregnancy and yep. delivery. Yep. Um, your weight, so your BMI, yep. the higher it is, the higher the risk. Same with a regular pregnancy, Yeah. right? Um, Which also, just have to interrupt here, I'm yep. learning in school that women and your weight, there's actually no real evidence-based research that shows being an overweight woman will make your pregnancy worse. Interesting. Yeah. We'll get more to that down the road. But um, <laughs> I'm learning about that right now, and I think that it's something that's very important, just yeah. as you say the, that thing as well. Yeah. So way. I also said to this doctor, like, I am in shape. I am young. I am healthy. Um, my health history doesn't give any red flags. Like, right. unless you can give me a red flag, I don't see why I can't try to TOLAC, which is trial of labor after cesarean. So that's what they refer to it in the medical. So it's so not... Again. Trial of labor after cesarean, TOLAC. Okay. So technically you don't go for VBAC, you, you TOLAC. Okay. And then if you get a VBAC, then you've had a VBAC. Okay. So if you TOLAC and you end up with a C-section, that's okay. But they will refer to you as a TOLAC patient because they're like, oh, red flag, this one's crazy. Okay, I'm learning the <laughs> jargon, yeah. birth jargon, and I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> So anyways, um, I list all this stuff off to him and then I questioned him hard and this is an important one. How come you have never once discussed the risks of a repeat cesarean with me? Ever once. Because there's way more risks to a C-section, a surgery in general, than there is to a uterine rupture. Like the risk is Interesting. way more. So I can give you some infection, which I experienced, blood loss, major blood loss, which I experienced. I had a transfusion with Rachel. I don't think I mentioned that. Uh, death for baby baby getting cut is a thing that happens during the C-section. Your bladder being cut. These are all risks that they never mention right. ever. Um, right. And not to mention a regular, a woman who has never had a C-section, her uterus can rupture. It's just a thing. Think yeah. about what happens to our bodies. Yeah. It, is, it thins out so much right. that it could happen to anybody. Everyone's body's so, elasticity is different and yeah. it could happen really to anybody. And again, I'm not trying to scare people. I'm just yeah. telling you like, these are the facts. So if so many women if 99.99% of women yep. can have a successful one, yep. then uh, why can't I? Yeah. So anyways, long story short, he, uh, he ended up giving me shared care. <laughs> Perfect. So now we're back to shared care, also, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he also said, fine, you're not booking a C-section. Got it. Okay. So it was a glimmer of hope he was finally getting on my page, even though he was hesitant about it. I think um, he realized also in this moment, this bitch isn't going to like let stop. Off. So like... Just tell I'm her what she wants to hear. Yeah, but also like, I'm going to give her this for a bit until we have a problem. I'm going to give it to her. Right. 
Yeah. Um, he also warned me because I wasn't, I saw him later in my pregnancy when I was overdue and I wasn't dilated. And he was like, you could come in and your birth plan uh, to, you know, try the Foley catheter, AROM, artificial rupture of membranes, so your water breaking. Uh, these things that I wanted to do before Pitocin got used as a means of induction. Um, he was like, yeah, none of those things can happen and I don't feel comfortable with administering uh, Pitocin for VBAC. So we're going to have to have a conversation you don't want to have, were his words to me. And I was like, yeah, okay, see you at the hospital, like, bye. And I left there and I called you and I was like, yeah, I really don't care what he has to say at this point. Like, I'm, I'm good. In, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm in, in control, control of my body. Yeah. Good for you, man. So I ended up uh, going into labor spontaneously despite having um, my induction scheduled. I actually went into labor the night before without realizing because I was crampy, took a gravel and a Tylenol, as a midwife would tell you to do if you felt like yep. you might be in labor. Yep. Early labor. Um, and I slept through contractions, I guess. And we ended up taking ourselves to the hospital before the induction. And uh, it, I was nine centimeters when I got there. So Which is like, okay. Like that. <laughs> it's insane. No, it's actually bananas. Like when, but I, I mean, at the same time, it was your third baby that your cervix knew what was going on. Yeah. But for, for, for people who don't understand that, when I typically, I mean, again, every um, labor is super unique, but people can be like two centimeters dilated for like days and then need, you know, Pitocin and be four centimeters dilated for six hours. The fact that Jame was checked and was nine centimeters, which is one centimeter away from pushing a baby, from out. pushing <laughs> a baby out and being, you know, fully effaced, fully ready to go. That's actually wild. So it, to me, that's like your body saying, Hey girl, I've heard you, you've pushed for this. Like, let's do this to yeah. me. Like, I think that's like your body's way of knowing exactly what it wanted and being like, I've heard you, I appreciate you, let's let's do yeah. this. Yeah, it was like, almost like giving the middle finger to that OB who just yeah. wanted me to have a C-section so badly. And and he was, of course, on call. Of course he was. <laughs> right? And he ended up being a lovely guy. Yeah. He was really funny after, and he told me I can say I told you so, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, so it ended up being a little bit traumatic because I got there and I didn't get an epidural, not just because I didn't have time because I chose not to. And this is important as well for anyone who's considering their birth plan with a VBAC. Mm -hmm. And that is just that if you want an epidural, that's totally okay. Mm -hmm. Um, keep in mind that all the research will tell you the feeling of a rupture is completely different than a contraction and you will not know that it is happening. If, if you have any kind of pain. Really good information. Yeah, so I chose not to for that reason. Okay. Um, but yeah, and and because you're about The only other thing I wanted to touch on that I don't think I did was when I was talking about the risks, the added risks, like the weight, the, the age, if you have pre-existing, um, if you got a C-section previously that was not horizontal, okay. um, so instead it was vertical, which you would know that, uh, that is an increased risk, actually a pretty big one. So um, something to talk to your doctor about, but... Things that are not added risks that people will tell you are, as if you had a breech baby previously, mm -hmm. there's no science that says you're going to have a breech baby again. So no. that's not a reason to book a C-section. And your doctor will tell you too. The other one was placenta previa. So the placenta covers the cervix, I think that one is. Um, that's not a reason to book a C-section just because you had it before. I know and so many people who... So many oh, people. So many people. And then also the placenta abruption. Like, it sounds terrifying, mm -hmm. but it's also not a reason to be like, shoot, I shouldn't have a VBAC. Right. 100% are still a candidate. Jamie did it. Don't scare your... Don't, don't let anyone scare you into thinking you can't. <laughs> right. But in saying that, you have to be confident because you are making that decision for yourself mm -hmm. and your baby and your family. So... Yep. I think with all of these things, you have to be confident um, in in whichever decision you make. Yeah. So I had my baby. We it was traumatic. It was fast, um, painful as hell. He actually needed a vacuum. I had an episiotomy. I had um, third degree tears. An episiotomy, for those who don't know, <laughs> is when the doctor actually um, how do cuts we say you it? from cuts your vagina you. to your butt. <laughs> yes. So rather than you tearing, um, by yourself, it's actually a cleaner cut. If a doctor or midwife will be whoever does it. Um, this lucky girl had both. So yeah. <laughs> so Jamie got really lucky and got both, but that's okay. Cause she's all healed and, and I can tell you okay. the healing from that was a hundred times better than healing from a C-section. So yeah. So give us a tiny bit of that. Like how was, what was the difference? Um, again, not to freak anybody out, but what was the major difference between, 
the recovery between C-sections and vaginal? Recovery. So with Rachel, I actually did get the vaginal bleeding as well because I did labor for yep. I did a full labor. Yep. Um, but it wasn't as bad as, as a regular vaginal birth, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but recovery was, um, you know, minimum three to five days you're in bed. Mm-hmm. I don't know about pre-COVID though, you were in the hospital for three to five days. Right. Um, and then you're, you're hunched over. You can't lift. You're not even supposed to lift the weight of your baby that was just born. You can't drive for weeks. You can't do any exercise for months. You, you're essentially, your abs have been cut, separated completely and you're right. having abdominal surgery. So just think about that. Right. Uh, breastfeeding doesn't come as naturally with C-sections, um, just because your body wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes a little bit of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, can't say you can't do it. No, because I have... definitely breastfed with all my babies. I just, right. uh, it was so much easier with a natural birth. And um, I don't know, just like everything, like even the emotions were different. Like it all was very different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately I had everything I possibly could go wrong in my vagina and my bum. And I still will take that over a C-section any day. And have you to thank for all of that. Like, I got through that recovery because of you and your lovely gifts. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I know far too well about the, uh, <laughs> the postpartum <laughs> issues. But, um, yeah, so I think, you know, like, this is an incredible story. Jamie wrote a blog. Um, we will also share that blog um, below uh, th- this podcast. But I think it just, again, it goes to show that, you never know how your birth is going to go. You never know how your labor is going to go. Things happen all the time. I, you know, I tell all of my clients, all of my friends that, um, you, your baby, as soon as your baby is in that belly has its own plan. So I don't actually like to use the word, um, birth plan with my, with clients. Wish I, list. I, wish list. That's, <laughs> a, that's a good one. Maybe yeah, I'll take that. List. You can have things that are important to you and things that we like, you know, Boundaries, I think, is a good a good yeah. word as well. Um, but it just goes to show that if you do the research and if you ask the questions, you know, like James said, don't hesitate to ask the questions. You are in control of your body. You are in control of what goes on. You make the boundaries here. Um, if you don't feel comfortable, if you ever feel like something is wrong or traumatic or just doesn't feel right, do what you feel you need to do and ask Ask the questions and yeah. push. Don't don't just say okay. Mm-hmm. Like ask. Like I I hear so many people in these um, groups being like, well, the doctor said that I have to do this and this and this, or I have my C-section booked tomorrow and I have so much anxiety. I really don't want to do it. I don't feel mm-hmm. ready. And I, my mm-hmm. response every time is, then don't. Yeah. You don't have to. Yeah. No one can force you into anything. We have to remember, you know, birth is something that that people have done for year hundreds of years Without in medical in fields and like it's. <laughs> Not that I'm, you know, encouraging people to go have their babies in fields, but um, <laughs> what I'm saying is that it's it's a it's a very natural thing. Our bodies are like unicorns; they are powerful more than we even understand. So, I just I thank Jamie for sharing this story. I know, you know, when I shared the blog that she wrote, I had such amazing feedback, and so many women reach out to say, "Holy shit!" First of all, she's a warrior, and second of all. I didn't realize how traumatic my first was, or I didn't realize I had that yeah. option. And I think, again, we're here to encourage women to ask questions, encourage women to share their stories, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is. We can't um, you know, teach others how to advocate for themselves unless we share our stories. Mm-hmm. So and that's that, like I, I think too, like so many women just saying like, I never talked about what mm-hmm. happened to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was so traumatic until I read your blog. Mm-hmm. Like it, that's the thing is like we don't talk about it. Why? Cuz yeah. we're ashamed and we don't know why. Maybe we don't label it as a shame being ashamed, but we need to talk about it. It's therapy. Yeah. Get it out there. Talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. And if you've already had a baby and it's been traumatic or even not even that traumatic, but also just like don't be afraid to ask questions. I cannot stress it enough. Do yeah. what feels right to you. And just advocate so hard. Mm-hmm. Advocate your ass off. Like, mm-hmm. please. <laughs> and if you're someone who isn't, you know, who, who doesn't feel comfortable asking those questions, have your partner step in or, you know, hire a doula to, to ask those tough questions and, and to be that kind of voice if you are someone who isn't comfortable asking those questions. But at the end of the day, all we're saying here is you are in control of your body. You, um, nobody can tell you what to do. There's, you know, there's, things that medically um they suggest and and that's fine that's that's Mm -hmm. absolutely fair but 
this story is to empower women who are thinking, you know, could I be that person? Could I be the Jamie? Could I do it? Do I have the health risks? And I hope, we both hope that you learned something from this tonight and, or, you know, today, whenever you're listening. And, um, yeah, that's that's about it. (laughs) I never thought I'd be in this position wanting to, like, just push so hard and share the story so hard. But thank you for um, having me on here to you and to Jacqueline. And I just really hope that I can help change someone's life and birth story and birth experience. Birth stories are meant to be beautiful and we can't, we can't, um, you know, have all the, the answers and the plans, um, I'm written. thankful for even my, my rough ones now. Yeah. I think everybody goes through their births and you reflect in ways and you learn so much good and bad. And that's, that's what babies are all about. <laughs> So thank you again, Jamie, for, um, you know, speaking with us, sharing your story, all of your information. We really appreciate it. And uh, once again, you are a badass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Love you, girl. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to come along for the ride. It's always better when we do it together. So subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Instagram, and check out our website, all places you can go to learn more.